0: Are you ready for the Word of God today? Well, let's have a look into God's Word. Um, We're going to read just from where we left off uh, in the last week where Ian was sharing. Uh, We're going to be looking today, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11, and we're going to go right through to chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, How many of you know the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses? And so sometimes a chapter comes right at a place that's in the middle of a whole train of thought. And so today we're just going to read through as if there wasn't a chapter break, so that we can pick up exactly what the, the writer was saying. When we come to God's Word, we are hearing God speak. So are you ready to hear God speak? We're going to start in verse 8, just to give some context, but we're really going to be focusing in on, from verse 11 onwards. So let's have a look at the passage of Scripture. I'm sure it will come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, we're going to start at. Although he, that's Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. So Ian shared on those words last week. Verse 11. About this, about Jesus' high priestly work and ministry. We have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, in other words, the milk, And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, in other words baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it And produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. this is the voice of the Lord speaking to us today now you'll notice in the previous session that Ian spoke about and the few verses that we read at the beginning that the writer was talking about Jesus's high priestly ministry he had started on this theme of Jesus as our high priest and so we've spent I think about two different Sundays just beginning to talk about that and then he just suddenly stops He stops talking about Jesus as our high priest and he moves on into this exhortation and this passage which is full of warning to us and encouragement to us. And then we'll see as we continue on that in chapter 7 he now moves back to talking about Jesus as the high priest. And so it's sort of like this interlude that he brings in. He stops a train of thought To bring this exhortation and this warning. And then he continues with that train of thought again in chapter 7. And so the question I want to ask at the beginning of this is, why did he do this? Why did he just stop, break his whole discourse on Jesus as our high priest, and bring this exhortation and these warnings that we have just read about? I want to give you four reasons that come out of this passage. The first one we see in verse 11 was that... He was finding the people that he was writing to difficult to teach. In other words, he was finding it difficult to explain the things that he was explaining, and he says the reason was they had become dull of hearing. What does that mean, dull of hearing? Well, it it, it points to this. They had become slow to understand the things of God, what he was sharing, due to a lack of desire and application. I don't know if you've ever tried to be explaining something to somebody and their mind is wandering and they're not really focused. And I can see you, you nodding because you do it every week. Um, their minds are not focused. You try and explain to them, but you haven't got their full attention. That's exactly the way the writer was feeling as he was trying to share these things with the people he was writing to. They had become dull of hearing. They were no longer excited by the word of God. The enthusiasm to learn had waned in their lives and they were not really applying themselves. They were not paying close attention because their hearts in many ways had grown cold and even hard towards God's word. And what we also see is that it had not always been this way. He says they had become dull of hearing. So we're talking about Something that over a period of time began to happen in their lives to where they were in this place where the writer as he's sharing these things feels he has to break off and begin to warn them and exhort them before he continues again. The second reason that we see why he had to do this is found in verse 12 and what we see there is that given the length of time that these people had been believers they they should have been at a place where they were able to teach others. They should have had such a grasp on at least the basic principles of God's word that they were able to teach others those basic principles. And yet we see them in a place where they needed to be taught them all over again. And so there's a sense of exasperation in the writer here as we read this passage. He's trying to explain things. He's trying to move them on but has the sense and this feeling that he's not getting anywhere because they're not really hearing what he says and it wasn't as if they hadn't been taught these things they had but maybe they didn't quite grasp them when they were taught or maybe they were beginning to abandon them they were beginning to reject the basic principles of God's Word that they had founded their Christian life on and you know that that can happen to even us we can be walking in the ways of the Lord, and then over a period of time, the circumstances of life come in. Things that people say may come in, and our hearts begin to turn away from what God's Word says. And it become, they become hardened to what God's Word says. They're no longer like sponges that are just soaking in what He says. Instead, God's Word seems to hit them and just bounce off. God's Word no longer has the impact That it once had. And this is exactly what had happened to these people. The third reason in verses 13 and 14 that he stops and and begins this exhortation is that they were still unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. They had not trained their spiritual senses by constant use of God's word to discern between what is good and what is evil. They were still struggling with this. What is good? What is right in the eyes of God? What is God's will? What does He approve of? What does He disapprove of? They were still struggling with these things because they hadn't become skilled in the word of righteousness, the word of God, in being able to rightly divide the word of truth. And fourthly, we can see by what the writer said in chapter 6 that they were in danger of apostasizing. Falling away from the faith. Turning their backs on the living God. Walking away from that which they had believed and committed themselves to all those years ago. They were in danger of falling away from the faith altogether. And therefore being lost eternally. And the writer was determined not to let this happen. Which is the reason... He wrote this whole letter. This is what the purpose of this letter was. It was to save these people from the path, the course that they were heading on. And that's why as we go through this letter, we can see these constant exhortations coming through, bringing this group of people that he was writing to back to the beginning of their faith, to their first love for the things of God. What were the basic principles He talks about here. He talks about these basic principles. The basic principles of the oracles of God, of the word of God. What were they? Well, he tells us in chapter 6 verses 1 to 2. Firstly, repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Those are the sort of things that we've been looking at as we've studied the book of Romans. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And secondly, he mentions teaching about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Do you know that these things are the elementary doctrines or teachings of Christ? They are the first things that we must know. They are the milk. The milk, just like a baby drinks milk and it's that milk that begins to enable it to grow up and become strong. So these things are the milk that we have to cut our teeth on as believers. They are the foundation that we build our lives upon, our Christian lives. I wonder if I was to ask you today, do you have this foundation? Do you have a sound understanding of these things that he's just listed here? Can you teach others about eternal judgment The resurrection of the dead, the laying on of hands, baptisms, repentance from dead works, and faith towards God. Do you have this kind of foundation? Is this what you're building your Christian life, in fact, your entire life upon? So we see here that these are the truths that as Christians we must build our lives on. And yet, what we also see in this passage is that to know these things, these elementary teachings... These grade one teachings of Christ are not enough. We can't just stop there. We can't just camp there. God's people must move on to maturity. And so we see in chapter 6 verse 1, look at what he says there. He says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine or teaching. Doctrine is just another word for teaching. Of Christ and go on to maturity. You see... The Christian life is one of constantly moving towards maturity. And we'll look at what that is in a moment. So when the writer says we need to leave the elementary teachings of Christ, what is he talking about? When he uses that word leave, does he mean that we need to discard them, abandon them, that we need to consider them irrelevant, unimportant, unnecessary? Not at all. What he's saying is we need to realize that the foundation that those teachings provide us is not all that there is. It's not the goal of our lives. We need to move on to completion. And he sort of alludes to this analogy of builders. Now you imagine a builder. A builder spends a lot of time and effort making sure that the foundation of his building is sufficient for the building that he's going to be putting up. And he knows that without that foundation, that building will never have strength. Bruce is sitting there. He does this all his life. The foundation has to be strong enough to hold the building. But does the builder stop with the foundation? What would we think if someone laid a foundation and then walked away from it? Would that impress anybody? And the same way in our Christian lives, if we are not constantly moving towards what God has, the fulfillment of God's purpose for our lives, if we're not moving towards perfection and maturity, if we've just abandoned that growth process, we're we're no better than a builder who just lays a foundation and then walks away from it and abandons it. And yet at the same time, does a builder lay that foundation and then walk over here and try and build his building away from the foundation? No, he builds it on top of that foundation. And so this is what the writer is trying to get across, is that we have that foundation and we need to make sure we have that foundation and that it is well laid. Because without that foundation, anything that we try to build is going to fall down. There's going to be cracks in it. It's not going to be strong. It won't last the test of time. But having laid that foundation, we mustn't stop there. We need to continue building and building, brick upon brick, layer upon layer, until we come to this place that he refers to as maturity. So let's ask another question. What is Christian maturity? And I'm going to give you a definition according to what we see here in this passage. So it can go up there. It is the state where someone is skilled in the word of God and by constant use of that word, of the word of God, has trained his or her powers of discernment, that spiritual discernment, to distinguish between good and evil. You know, children, if you think of children in the natural, they constantly be having to be told, don't do that don't do this, that's not good, that's not right, this is what you need to do, isn't that right? Isn't that the characteristics of children? They haven't learned what is good and what is not. But when you get to maturity, people expect you to know that. That's why they don't stick little children in jail. When they steal, they get forgiven, they're still learning. But when people come to a place of maturity, the standard is different. And so maturity spiritually is the same way. People that are mature spiritually have trained their powers of discernment to be able to distinguish between that which is good and that which is evil. They don't need someone constantly telling them because they know, they have learned. But children, spiritually speaking, they don't know. And it's easy for them to get caught up in things that they shouldn't be involved in. And they need someone to come along to them and say, that's not what you should be doing. That's not the right way to walk. So, what is maturity? Maturity is someone in Christ who knows the Scriptures and is living according to them. His or her character and thinking has been molded by the Word of God, shaped by the Word of God. You will see that molding influence, that shaping influence of God's Word in their lives. That's a sign of maturity, spiritually speaking. They will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, children are easily deceived, easily led astray. But when people know the truth, there is a stability that comes into their lives where they're not easily tossed to and fro by everything that just blows through, every kind of teaching and doctrine and thought and idea and conspiracy. Why? Because they have a correct knowledge of Scripture. And because of that, they can teach others the truths of Scripture. People that have come to a place of maturity in Christ become leaders. They become able to teach others and share what they have learned. doesn't mean that they're standing in a pulpit, but just in everyday life, in everyday association, they are able to teach others. And not only that, Their lives themselves will exemplify what Scripture teaches. They will be setting an example for the younger ones in the Lord. And do you know that God's goal for our lives is maturity? He will never be satisfied with people who come to Him in faith. Little babies in Christ don't know much that remain that way. Forever. I mean, I look around at this, you seated here today, and I can see many of you have children, if not most of you. What would you have thought if your child at the age of 20 was still wanting to drink from a a bottle? And I'm not talking about a Coke bottle. (laughs) Talking about a baby bottle. What would you think if a child of the age of 10 still needs a diaper to be changed? We would realize something's not Right. Something's not right. That's not the way it was meant to be. It's not the way God purposed it to be. And you know it's exactly the same spiritually speaking. And this is why the writer uses this analogy of children and mature people. Because God's plan for every single one of us as believers is to grow into the likeness of Christ. To become more and more like He was. Like He is. And that is what maturity is. Do you know that it is the job of ministers of the word of God to bring the church to maturity? To help them come to that place of maturity? And do you know that every single one of us should be pursuing that? We should be constantly wanting to grow in the things of God. Constantly wanting to become more like Jesus. That's our destiny. That's what God has called us to. Let me just quickly read to you from Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 14, and we'll see this. Let me put it up there. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, in other words, the pastors, and teachers. Why did he do it? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, he's speaking spiritually here, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. Just as the writer to Hebrews is doing. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. Do you see? That's what the Christian life is all about. Our lives need to be constantly progressing. Constantly moving upwards. Constantly developing in the things of God. And yet, when we look at the reality on the ground. The reality is. That just like the people that the writer to Hebrews was writing to, so many Christians today have stagnated, become stagnant in their faith, are still babies in their knowledge and understanding of scripture and what it teaches, have very little discernment when it comes to spiritual things, feel like they cannot feed themselves, they need to be taken care of the whole time. And that's that's perfectly fine. As long as we do not stay there. As long as we are progressing and moving out of that state to where we can actually take care of others. So the problem is, and the question is, are we growing? Are we progressing? And that's a question that each and every one of us needs to ask in our own hearts this morning. Am I progressing? Am I growing? Have I put in place in my life what is necessary For my spiritual growth and development. I mean you're all here today and so that in and of itself is an answer to that question. What investment are you putting into your lives spiritually? You know we all invest many things in life. We're investing constantly. We're investing our time, our efforts, our attention, our finances. There's constant investments that we're making in life. How much of our investment is towards our spiritual well-being? Are we investing into that? Is it something that we value? Is it something that we consider vitally important? And how important do we consider it? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Because as the writer says here, if we're not growing, if we're not maturing, if we're not moving forward in the things of God, the danger is this we begin to backslide. We begin to drift. We begin to lose sight of what is really important. Our hearts begin to grow cold towards the things of God. And instead of loving God's word, we begin to find God's word a bit of a drudge. You know, God's word again. I mean, after all, I've heard it all. There should be an excitement about God's word. And, you know, every single one of us, struggles with this. We're going to have a struggle with this. As long as we're in the flesh and as long as we're in this world, there is going to be this struggle that we're going to face. Why? Because everything in this world, everything in our flesh, is wanting to draw us away from God. And this is where Christianity at times can seem a bit difficult. Because it's easy to... For someone to get on a raft and go down the river. There's no energy needed. You can just jump on that raft and just let it go and the current will just take you. And that's what it's like living in this world. The current of this world is always going to take us and carry us away from God. And that means that for us not to be caught up in that and not to be overcome by it, we have to put There has to be a diligence and there has to be an earnestness and there has to be a purposefulness in our lives towards God. Because if it's not there, we just find ourselves just being taken away by the current. And it's maybe easy, it's maybe more comfortable, but where does it take us? Where does it lead us? And so, this is the challenge that really comes out of this passage today. We do not want to be amongst those that fall away from the living God. That's not an option for any of us here today. It's not even an option. It's not even on the table. It's not even something that we can consider. God has called us. And He is committed to us. And bringing us to the place that He's predestined us for. Which is maturity. Christ-likeness. And so this warning that we read today. It's not given to condemn us. It's not given as a prediction of the outcome of our lives, it's actually given to save us, to wake us up, to draw us out of maybe a slumber that we've fallen into, a ap- apathy maybe that we've fallen into, a hardness of heart that maybe has begun to envelop us, a, a loss of, the, of sight concerning the importance of the things of God and of the Word of God in our lives. And so today, I believe that through this passage, the Holy Spirit is just wanting to wake us, shake us. And say, come on, don't allow yourself to be led astray. Don't allow yourself to fall away. Don't allow your heart to grow cold. Make sure you have that solid foundation. If you feel like you don't, that's what the church is here for. I know that Ian and myself and the rest of the elders, we'd be more than willing to Do whatever needs to happen to teach and to help lay these foundations in any of you you that feel like you don't have them. Because if we don't do it, we're neglecting our responsibility before God towards you. But if you do have and you feel like you do have that solid foundation and you can teach others the very things that he mentioned here in this passage, the challenge to you is, have you become bored with church? Have you become bored with the word of God? Is there still that same excitement that you had when you first came to faith? Is your love for the Lord just as hot as it was back then? Or has it begun to grow cold? And so this is the challenge I I, want to leave with every single one of us here today. It's a challenge that I face every day of my life. I constantly find myself coming back to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been as fervent in prayer as I know I should be. And I feel, I feel the lack because I haven't. I've allowed the things of this world, the cares of this world, the worries, the desire for other things, for pleasure, whatever it may be. I've allowed them to come in and I just sort of feel like your word has been choked in my life a bit. And I often find myself coming back to that place where I'll go into my, into my office and kneel down and just say, Lord, just revive my spirit again. Revive my heart again. Quicken me, Lord. Let that fervor be restored to me. And you know what I find? God is faithful. Every single time, there's just this freshness that comes. And I I find myself lifted up in spirit. I find my faith sort of rejuvenated. And I can get up and preach to you. So let's just stand and let's just pray today. And as we do, just ask yourselves the questions that I've been sort of posing as I've been preaching here today. The, the questions that this passage really raises towards us, and just pray that kind of prayer. If you feel like you've you're just not right, you know in your heart you're not quite where you would like to be, and you're not quite where you know where God would like you to be. We're always there. God is always there to come back to. We can come back to Him. He's always there for us to return to Him. His arms are always out wide. He never closes them. We can come back. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Lord, we know that the Word of God is the Spirit of God speaking to us. And so, Father, we realize today that this has not been the voice of a man, but this has been your voice speaking to each and every one of us through your word. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us the heart and the ability to really and deeply search our lives and, Lord, to come back to you and allow you to rejuvenate us and strengthen us and just gird us up And so that's what we pray for today. We pray that you would do that in every single one of our hearts. Lord, if our foundations are shaky, and as we looked at that list, if we were saying, Lord, I don't know about that. I don't know what the Bible teaches about that. Lord, I pray that you would just guide and direct us as a church to be able to make sure that every single person has that solid foundation in their lives and is able to continue growing soundly and strongly in the things of God. So Lord, I pray for that. I pray that you would guide Ian and you would guide myself and the rest of the eldership as we have this responsibility before you of ensuring that this takes place in the lives of your people. We commit ourselves as a church to you, Father. It is our desire that we would be strong, that we would be vibrant, that we would be full of the love of the Lord. Our faith would be secure, that we would be founded in the truth, that we would not, not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But Lord, we would be secure and firm, just as you have called us to be and planned for us to be. And so we place ourselves in your hands today, Lord. We place each and every one of us in your hands today knowing that you are the one who keeps us, you are the one that draws us, you are the one that gives us life, breath, and everything else. We praise you and we magnify your name just because of who you are. Amen.